This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha and caverns deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 665 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. It is the neighbor of the Beast Show. We'll have the Beast Show coming next. We'll talk about that later. My name is Matt Baum, and with yesterday being National Turtle Day, we saw a lot of TMNT love, but not a single mention of DC's Super Turtle. Hmm. And I'm the internet's Joe Patrick, your head number two, and I blame the Ninja Turtle Industrial Complex for their only Ninja Turtles Matter agenda that they pushed on the American public. It's disgusting, frankly. In this Foot Clan kicking episode, we are back to reviewing new comics from the last two weeks and then setting you up with our must-read picks for next week. And finally, we'll give you a preview of our Patreon Extra where we've got a metallurgical-themed Ask-A-Nerd that has us comparing and contrasting adamantium and vibranium. So grab your nunchucks or get the shell out of the way because it's review time in the ziggurat. Our review pile comes from the last two new comic book Wednesdays, May 18th and 25th. This time, we're talking about vampires and aliens separately invading the DCU, the voices in Thor's head, Law & Order X-Men style, and it all starts with the return of Fables, proving we don't need no renumbering. Now, Joey, we're celebrating your triumphant return to health, so you get to go first, buddy. As Matt said, we are talking about Fables. It's issue 151. It is from DC's Black Label non-imprint thing. Boutique (laughs) house. I don't fucking know. Stuff. Collection. It is written by the aforementioned Bill Willingham with art by Mark Buckingham. There's a lot of ham going on in this issue. Here's your solicit. Just in time for the 20th anniversary of its launch. Oh my God, we are old. The acclaimed blockbuster that defined an era of Vertigo returns with an all new 12 issue story, The Black Forest, a tale that picks up right where Fables 150 left off. And they are not kidding. Providing a new entry point into the world of Fable Town. The dust has barely settled from the climactic battle between Totenkinder and Cinderella. And everything is far from happily ever after. A legendary new adversary has arrived, and he plans to get even with Geppetto for the mess that has been made of Manhattan. But it's a new day, dot, 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 and with it, a new Jack in the Green, I don't know who that is, has arrived in the Black Forest, and within the emergency room of a New York hospital, a fable long thought dead returns. I'm glad you mentioned that, because that's something that... It's only thought dead since the end of Fables 1. Well, sure, yeah. But the Jack and the Green thing, I I thought, well, I guess that's just something (laughs) I forgot about. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, no, I don't know know who the Jack... I don't know who Jack and the Green is. It's not... I, I don't know. Fables is back, and it is like it never left. Really. Bill Willingham picks up exactly where the final issue left off years ago, for better or for worse, so you'd better be ready for a roller coaster ride of information. That isn't to say that it's bad or poorly presented. It just might be kind of a lot for a new reader. Yeah. This issue is billed as a jumping on point, and I suppose that's true, but you've got to keep up. Fables ended on a fairly definitive note, and so the world we return to here is vastly different. The existence of Fables and the world of magic has been revealed, and we see the beginnings of that aftermath in New York, 
Meanwhile, a new adventure begins in yet another magical world. Willingham does his typical deep dive into myth and folklore, drawing characters that I have never even heard of into the forefront. Uh, that was something I really loved about the original run, learning more about these characters that lived on the fringes of myth. It wasn't just Snow White and the big bad wolf and, you know, Jack and the Beanstalk and all that. Right. Though they're here, too. Mark Buckingham's art is just beautiful as detailed and expressive as ever. He packs every inch of every page with lush renderings of the fables and their environments going so far as to fill the fringes of each page with decorative detail. Our first issue ends with the return of a character thought lost and the promise of a conflict to come. All of that's in the solicit, but hey, I like to end on a tease. For sure. Fables 151 marks the triumphant return of one of my favorite Vertigo series of all time. It does not seem to have missed a beat. I'm giving this a buy it. Yes, there's a lot to take in, but they do kind of give it all to you. Like, really, all you need to know is in the book. I don't disagree with that. I will say that I agree. Yes, it is a lot to take in. When I started the book, I definitely was like, crap, I am lost. I don't remember. I'm not sure who, who is who here. It's been way too long. And then about halfway through, I felt better. And by the end, I was like, okay. Yeah. Like, did they explain it? Like, yeah. as I was reading it, I'm like, they're not, he's not even bothering to introduce these characters, that was, even though I, yeah. even though I know who Bigby and King Cole and Snow are by sight. Right. But then halfway through the book, he does introduce them. Yes, and, and there and were so other get, characters, like the big ones I knew, but there were other characters I was just like, I can't remember Jack who that is. Jack the Green, I think, is new. For I the just, life like, of me. So they did introduce some stuff. It is a lot. I don't know that I would call this a great jumping on point for fables. I think if you want to appreciate this, you really need to have read fables. It's certainly the start of a new arc. It is the start of a new arc. I'll give it that. <laughs> I would not suggest starting here. I would suggest starting with fables number one, and you will see why we are excited for this book. I'm not going to punch the book for it. It's a buy it. Mark Buckingham is so good and doesn't really, seem to age. It's just goddamn gorgeous. Yeah. This comic. That guy does not seem to age. Like his style is his style and has been for 35 years now, I think. He's amazing. Yeah, since the early days of Vertigo. Moving on from the hams, let's talk about Shaolin Cowboy, Cruel to Be Kin, number one from Dark Horse. This was written and drawn by Jeff Darrow. In phase four of the SCU, the Shaolin Cowboy finds his parenting skills being tested when he's forced to homeschool during a pandemic of unparalleled violence. In this story, torn from yesterday's viral Twitter feeds, <laughs> can he get a kung fu grip on the situation before a horde of 45 loving human monsters and not-so-human monsters send him to the ICU? Only guns, swords, and flying guillotines will tell. Emmy Tofu! Oh, 45 loving, like 45 caliber Yeah, like 45 loving, caliber 45 loving. loving human monsters. No, and not like 45 records that had the big hole in them. That, you know, right. Not like yeah, those either. Yeah. Let me ask you, when was the last time you sat down to read a Western tale narrated by a Komodo dragon talking to his son about the Buddhist cowboy that saved his life as a young lizard and taught him there's more to life than eating your children? You're in luck. If I had a, if I had a nickel. <laughs> 
<laughs> this is just the beginning of the high strangeness in Darrow's Shaolin Cowboy, and the only thing that matches his bizarre writing is the imagination it takes to create his bizarre visions. Darrow's art is exquisite in its detail, his wild character design, and his unique talent for drawing extreme violence. No one works at this level because Darrow is another one of those artists with a style so much his own it cannot be mimicked. Shaolin Cowboy is a story that borders on absurdist, but at its heart, it's a kung fu cowboy story about a quiet, unassuming, slightly overweight man trying to follow the teachings of Buddha in a post-apocalyptic West that you need to read if for no other reason than to see how crazy it really is. <laughs> Imagine the Ballad of Buster Scruggs meets Mad Max Fury Road, and if that sounds like your kind of singing cowboy horror show, you will love this. There just is not a book like Shaolin Cowboy on the stands. I love this unabashedly. I'm giving it a buy it. I mean, yeah, it's 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 fun. Shaolin Cowboy is always a good time. And, you know, longtime listeners will remember years ago when Jeff Darrow put out an issue of Shaolin Cowboy that was literally the same fight scene over and over for 20 pages. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was like barely, like barely noticeable differences and like, like, like beautifully, extraordinarily drawn, obviously. Well, and it was hordes of different characters getting killed. I mean, <laughs> but, like, but there's so much going on. There was so much going on in every page that all the pages kind of looked the same. And it was that was it for the entire issue. No dialogue, none. Yeah. And I was like mad when I read it. I was like, I was I was pissed. Not me, man. I was like, I can't believe this is a comic. I loved it. I'm older now. I'm more appreciative of, of the art and the, the thing he's going for. This comic is obviously a lot different than that. It's a huge buy it for me. Shaolin Cowboy is great. Just check it out. From Kung Fu Cowboys to beefy weightlifting ghosts, we move on to I Hate This Place number one. From Image Comics, it's written by Kyle Starks with art by Artyom Topolin. Here is your solicit, and Image is at it again. Series premiere! For fans of Gideon Falls and homesick pilots, after inheriting a farmhouse, Trudy and Gabby are ready to start the next chapter of their lives together, except it's already home to a mysterious force that's attracted ghosts, aliens, and all kinds of supernatural beings for decades. Now, Gabby and Trudy must play by the quote-unquote house rules in order to survive living among the most frightening creatures on Earth in this new series from Kyle Starks, who you might remember from Assassination, the six sidekicks of Trigger Keaton, which kind of sounds like the Ballad of Buster Scruggs if you think about it, and Artyom Topolin from Ice Cream Man Presents the Quarantine Comics Special. That's a very specific credit. <laughs> Hopefully he's done other things. I Hate This Place is a horror story packed full of different ideas in a really great way. We start off by seeing a criminal rendezvous gone wrong before meeting our main characters, Gabby and Trudy. Gabby has inherited the farmhouse in the middle of nowhere that the locals swear is either haunted or a hotbed of UFO activity, maybe both. Gabby is a wide-eyed optimist that believes in fate and destiny and all that hippie stuff. Trudy is a pragmatic survivalist armed to the teeth and ready to do what she's gotta to protect her loved ones. Both characters are endearing right off the bat. Credit to Kyle Starks for filling these women full of personality in just a few pages. As the story progresses, the tone gets much darker and more M. Night-esque in a way I really enjoyed. It reminded me a lot of the movie Signs, 
where the characters are kind of trapped in their home trying to figure out what's going on outside with the bare minimum of information and exposure. It's a fun, claustrophobic, scary scene, and Starks really ratchets up the tension by giving us just glimpses of the things that are happening. There's also a really fun twist that reveals the true nature behind Gabby's inheritance and the fate she may now be doomed to experience. The art by Topolin is interesting. It's got a lot of unique uh, personality all its own. His human figures have exaggerated physiques and expressions, thus the beefy ghosts. And there's an unreal quality to almost everything on the page, like animals and for and uh, backgrounds. Like the script said that they're cows and dogs, but my eyes were like, is that a dog? Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, it's exaggerated in a way that he owns, you know, so I went with it. It really contributes to the mood of the story. The colors by Lee Loffridge round out the look of the book with a lot of dark blues and greens, punctuated by bright bursts of almost neon color during moments of horror. I Hate This Place Number 1 is a great introductory issue that hooked me in with its spooky premise and wonderfully bizarre art. I wasn't sure about the art at first, but by the end of the book, I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm into it. I'll definitely be back for more of this. I'm giving it a buy it. So, yeah, the art. Um... It was tough for me because there were panels where I was like, this is, this looks really cool. I like this style. And there were other panels where I was like, that just doesn't look good. <laughs> like, some of it really worked. Other parts, not so much. I love the story. And I think Lawford's colors save this one. Cause that guy is so good that yeah. he, when Archam is at his best, Lawford makes it look amazing. And I love all the weird high strangeness going on here. Kyle Starks, a little more serious stuff from Kyle Starks. We've seen a lot of funny stuff from him. Yeah. This, this definitely is, this does not. No, not jokey. There's nothing comedic going on here. And I like that. He's showing us his range. That's fun. I'm giving this a buy as well. We got more aliens coming right up, but now it's time to talk about some fresh new daddy issues for our boy Thor in Thor number 25 from Marvel. This was $3.99. It's written by Donnie Cates with art by Martin Kokolo. Here's your solicit. Banner of War, part two, the 60th anniversary celebration and Thor and Hulk's epic rivalry continues in the second installment of the crossover between the Hulk and Thor series. Banner's newfound control of his rage is prolonging the fight more than Thor expected. And with Banner holding his own, Thor must get creative. Odin's breakthrough look into Banner's psyche seems to slow the violence, but will it be enough? Additionally, new creators to the Thor title bring glimpses into the possible futures of Thor and his friends. Matt, this is part two. What the hell? I know, I know, I hear you. But we missed Banner of War, the one shot, which was great. So this is my way of not only covering that, but also bragging about catching up on both Kate's Thor and Hulk runs. Kate's has positioned both these heroes into a similar situation that led to this huge battle in an arena made from a dead celestial's hand called, of course, the Black Hand of God. <laughs> This event is jumping back and forth from Hulk to Thor, so if you're reading one, you're probably going to read the other so you know what's going on. Lucky for you, the Banner of War one-shot resets everything Cates has set up in both books, and the ridiculously massive battle continues here with incredible art from Kukolo, who is a more than worthy fill-in for the likes of Nick Klein, who's been on Thor, and Ryan Otley, who's been penciling Hulk. This guy's great, and I've never heard of him. 
this isn't just a mighty. We, we've definitely seen him before on ha, other things. I just didn't recognize the name. I guess. I mean, he's not like you know, he's not uh, like a name we see a ton, but right. I, I definitely recognize the name. This isn't just a mighty Marvel mauling either. Don't get me wrong; the whole battle has been great so far. But Kate's is also building a very compelling story in both books that very cleverly entwined and became one of the smartest crossovers I've read in quite a while. It seems like. A lot of times these days, crossovers just sort of cross over to, you know, inflate the sales of a book that kind of needs some help. But not at all. Case is on both books. He's driving the ship and they just had to collide at some point. I am giving this a buy it. It has been so much fun. And I love Thor's current status quo, by the way. Uh, So I'm behind on Thor. Like I. Let me rephrase. I haven't been reading Thor. I read issue one when we reviewed it and that's it. I need to get caught up for sure. So I really have no idea what's going on in Thor other than like, I know that he was empowered by Galactus for a bit. He's over that. He's over that. I'm sure he's still wearing that runic costume that I don't really love, but whatever. I mean, um, I, it's grown on me and I really like it. Now. Nah, 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 nah. <laughs> but uh, I did really like this. Like, no, nah, it's, it's very clear that in this issue, the bulk of the action is taking place in the Hulk's mind. Well, Banner's now there mind. might, there yeah. is something going on with Mjolnir. Yes. Yeah. But, but they are in the, they are in the Hulk mindscape where uh, on the outside, Thor is fighting Hulk's body and, and there's something up with Odin uh, dealing with Banner on the inside. It's, it's a whole thing. It was great. It was great fun. Cosmic action on multiple planes of existence, yeah. which is a wild. Kokolo's art is fantastic. I loved it. I thought it was really, really beautiful. His name is um, fun to say, too. Kokolo. Kokolo, yeah. Uh, the backup stories were whatever. You know, Ron Friends and, and Tom DeFalco, the classic Thor team, did a story about the Enchantress that I assure you will end up being meaningless. Yeah. And then there <laughs> I did. I did really enjoy the... Um, the backup, the other backup story was an adaptation of an actual myth uh, using characters that did not exist, like Angela. Also, the idea that like the whole uh, enchantment of the hammer so that only Thor can lift it does not really exist in Norse mythology. Uh, and so they just kind of ignored it to, to do the story. And uh, I thought it was really fun. This was a great issue, and it definitely inspired me to uh, go back and catch up on what I missed. Banner of War is super fun and this is a buy it for me yeah they weren't kidding when they said the biggest and best hulk versus thor battle ever this really is so far it's already the best leaping forward to today wednesday may 25th we are talking dc versus vampires Hunters. It's a one shot from DC written by Matthew Rosenberg with art by Neil Googe. Here's your solicit a blood soaked one shot tale of vampire violence. The son of Batman after years of training to be an assassin is on a path toward utter destruction of the vampire race. Enter Damian Wayne vampire hunter. Here's a disclaimer for you right off the bat. This is not a new reader friendly issue. <laughs> no, <laughs> apparently it. <laughs> Apparently, it follows the previous DC versus Vampires miniseries, which seems like it should have been obvious, but I thought this still might be a fun story to jump in with. That isn't to say it isn't fun, but there's a lot going on here and very little context is provided. You're definitely expected to know that the Earth has been overrun by vampires. Many of the heroes have succumbed to a supernatural fate, and one of Earth's greatest is King of the Undead. 
Somehow, Damien is the only one able to break free of the vampire curse. He still needs to drink blood, but he no longer hunts humans. Instead, he works with the remaining human heroes to hunt his own kind. Like I said, it's fun, but I do think I would have enjoyed it more had I read the previous issues. Matthew Rosenberg captures Damien's voice very well, and the little shit is recognizable even in this Elseworld. I just wish I could buy the premise that he's the only vampire to stay on the side of good. Yeah. The art by Neil Gooch is really great. A very dynamic cartooning with some excellent page layouts. The scene with Damien tearing his way through the vampire skyscraper stronghold is especially good. I've been a fan of his since his debut way back with Bazooka Jewels from the upstart comic publisher ComX. Oh, wow. Forgot about Bazooka sadly, Jewels. <laughs> sadly, ComX did not go the distance, but we did get talent like Googe and Trevor Hare sign out of the deal. So, hey. Wasn't it Com.X, too? Wasn't it something weird? No, something like yeah. that. Yeah, Com.X. DC versus Vampires Hunters was an unexpected treat to read, but it is really a middle chapter in a longer story that works better as part of that whole. I'm going to give it a strong skim it. Yeah, I'm not going to punish it for that. But I agree. Like, I thought maybe this one shot, like you said, we could jump in and be like, oh, here's a neat look at what happened in that universe. They expected you to know a lot in here. And I'm with you. I just didn't buy the Damien thing. It seems like they're doing it just to do it. There's a lot of things here that are done in the plot just to do it. And sure, let's have fun with the DCU. Let's have evergreen stories that take place out of continuity. I'm fine with that. Not a problem. I just wasn't really interested in this world. And it seems like, you know, making Wonder Girl a vampire is just like shock value kind of stuff that doesn't do much for me. This was fine. It looked very well. I mean, cool. they had to, some of them had to, had to be vampires. I get you know, it. They, yeah. they had to have some no, I, vampire. I, I, I realize that. I just don't care. You know, like that doesn't it, I don't find that compelling is what I'm saying. I think Gooch's art is very cool. And looks really good, and there are some great action scenes. I just don't care about the premise. It's a skimmit. The name is Blackula! Scream, Blackula, Scream. The bloodiest legend of our time. If you thought Vampire Junior Batman was in trouble, wait till you hear about Big Daddy Batman and his new alien problem in Batman Fortress, number one from DC. This is written by Gary Whitta with art by Derek Robertson. Here's your solicit. When an unknown alien ship enters Earth's atmosphere, disrupting global power and communications and plunging the planet into chaos. That's two ands in a row. Come on, you guys. The world is left wondering, where is Superman when he is needed most? In the mysterious absence of the last son of Krypton, Batman must rally the rest of the Justice League to counter the alien threat. But first, he must quell a crime wave on the blacked out streets of Gotham. Gary Whitta. Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, and Derek Robertson, The Boys, join forces to turn everything you think you know about Superman upside down in DC's new comic book miniseries, Batman Fortress, launching Wednesday. <laughs> it actually says launching this May. But. Wait a minute. Everything you know about Superman? Well, I think they're going to... We haven't gotten there yet, and I talk about it a little bit. All right. I'm not trying to take anything away from Witta here, but just to clarify... He wrote the first draft of Rogue One, and Chris Weitz came in to complete the screenplay. He worked well, on it. Sure, he still gets credit. He gets credit. You look at IMDb; he's still on there. Yeah, don't worry about any bat continuity here or Superman continuity, Joe, because Alfred is very much alive. So I guess this falls into evergreen territory, but not quite Black Label. This Batman reminds me of a very '90s, not quite. Well, there's no dicks. Yeah, there's no dicks here. That's how you know. 
This Batman reminds me of very 90s, not quite a complete asshole, but still running the show, Bats. There is a moment where Batman asks Commissioner Gordon if he's okay. That really got me. <laughs> Witta has an yeah. amazing grasp on this character, and he demonstrates it early in a situation where he could have chose to kill the Joker, but instead... There's a very sort of anti-killing joke stance that he takes here that I quite liked. This Batman is brutal, but he's not a murderer. There's a great scene where he's relaying the damage he's done to a suspect to the cops that are showing up. The quote is him like leaning over the guy getting relieved and he turns to the cops and he goes, broken arm, dislocated jaw, fractured sternum. He'll live. Get a tourniquet on that arm. Keep pressure on it until the EMTs get here murder weapons over there by the dumpster and bam takes off it's a perfect batman moment just to play devil's advocate i'm sure that it will never this will never be revealed to be the case but how many times has batman left a thug bleeding out oh sure (laughs) and relied on somebody to stop the bleeding and they failed to do it and that's i liked well i mean like these are cops they're first responders they know what they're doing but i I like that widow pays attention to that I like the like in the back of my head the the, the what if idea that Batman's got this huge body count because of people well, sure. couldn't, couldn't stop them. I mean, think about all the other times he just beat someone up in an alley and left them there. Didn't even sure. tell yeah. anyone. Just no, walked away. <laughs> you know, that guy could have brain damage. His eyes could be turning black. You oh, don't yeah, know. No, he's a he's a walking he's a he's a he's a walking cause of traumatic brain injury. Yeah, for sure. and I like Witta's attention to detail there. It's like it's a small thing, but yeah, I believe Batman would do that. Okay, keep in mind, this is all happening in the wake of a massive power outage caused by what seems to be an extraterrestrial enemy and Superman is nowhere to be found. Which, while interesting, also kind of a weird way to raise Bat's hero status, but let's see where they're going with this Superman thing. We don't get anything here. Derek Robertson has always been great, but he's come into some kind of renaissance with his own style recently. The art is still very much Robertson, no question, but he's gotten even better at what he does. I love him drawing Batman, and it's time to start talking about Robertson alongside other legendary DC artists. It irks me a bit that I don't know where or when this is taking place, but that's on me. Sometimes a good Batman the story- The answer is nowhere. Yes, I guess. The story. Sometimes a good Batman story is just a good Batman story. And while this one isn't pushing any new frontiers with the character, I really liked seeing Alfred alive. I liked seeing Bullock and Jim Gordon running the GCPD. It just felt familiar. It, you know what? It kind of read like an ish, an episode of uh, Batman, the animated series. I'll, I will say. Okay. Yeah. I'll give you that. Because it's like, it's all of the, it's all of the fem- evergreen elements. Yes. Right? Right. Alfred, Gordon. Bullock. Right. You know, this is just a good start to a good Batman story. I'm giving it a buy it. I wasn't super thrilled about it at, at first. I, I thought that um, some of the dialogue's a little bit r- rough. Like Batman cracks a lot of jokes. Like he call, what, he comes home from crime fighting and Alfred was like, how did the night go? And Batman says, cry me. And I was like, Ugh. <laughs> no, <laughs> Batman is not going to say cry me. He also brings Batman. He also brings Alfred back a souvenir. Like I survived the Gotham City blackout and all I got was this lousy t-shirt. I was like, go, go, okay, stop. But yeah, you know, but it does kind of fit in with what you said about it being kind of a softer, you know, we, we've reviewed cosmic long box uh, Batman comics where Batman is like making jokes and smiling and all kind. like, so I guess in, in the context of it being a timeless version of the character, I can see it. Yeah. Um, I think given the choice of them making Batman an extreme asshole 
or no, I'd rather have this or yeah, or sure. softening him up a little bit. I quite honestly believe it is much like braver for a writer to soften Batman a little bit because everybody just wants to ride him like a shithead. It seems like the easiest thing in no, the world it's to true. do. Yeah, yeah, for sure it is. The art. Uh, I love Derek Robertson. I've been a fan of Derek Robertson f- from day one. Um, I There's just something about this that I did not think was his best work, but maybe that's just on me. Man, um, I thought he looked great. But I, I read this a second time, and I liked it way better the second time. Uh, I Originally, I gave it a skim it, but I am going to give this a buy it. It's just a really fun Batman story. It doesn't matter where it takes place. It's just a fun, self-contained adventure. Some days you just can't get rid of a bomb. If you still haven't had enough aliens in your comics, well, you're in luck because our next review is of Spectro. It's a one-shot from Aftershock Comics. It's written and drawn by Juan Doe. But that's not all we have. It's a quartet of quintessential horror tales from the multi-talented Juan Doe, according to the solicit. There's an alien appetizer. There's an alien element at the very end. Uh, It is uh, presented in a single prestige format, one-shock which I guess is Aftershock's uh, brand. (laughs) Spectro explores the unnerving spectrum of fear through four terrifying stories rooted in a cosmic game of twisted karma and phantasmagoric horror. One, what is at stake when sentient technology manipulates a man with projections of his desired self? Two, what are the consequences of excommunicating a member of the nine planets? Three, What is discovered when an explorer travels to Mars to ascend the tallest mountain in the solar system? Four. What happens when a scientist aboard the International Space Station is confronted with the most horrifying aspects of humankind? In what realm of fear do these stories exist? Spectro. Written and illustrated by Juan Doe from Bad Reception, Dark Ark, and Animosity, The Rise. Spectro is a horror anthology from deep within the recesses of the mind of one of comics' most prolific talents. Boy, that is a long solicit. It really is. But, you know, very descriptive, so good job. I've been fascinated by the work of Juan Doe ever since I saw his covers on X-Men titles following House of M. I believe it was X-Men, the 198, was the first time I saw Juan Doe's work. Wow. Yeah. When he eventually started doing interior work, he proved to be an enormous talent worthy of that attention. Here, Doe creates a batch of horror tales with a loose connective theme involving space and or technology and a strange strange obsession with Pluto's excommunication from the solar system for some reason. (laughs) It's all very Black Mirror-esque with science run amok, bizarre secret societies and outer space terror. Each story is really fun in its own right and equally compelling. The first deals with our obsession with fitness and the toll it takes on the vulnerable in a world where technology dictates our every move. Then we get a strange story that doesn't really fit a sci-fi mold so much as a Kill Bill-style revenge tale with planetary trappings. The third story is my favorite with its Elon Musk slash Richard Branson slash Jeff Bezos amalgam obsessed with becoming the first man to scale the highest peak on Mars, no matter the cost. I thought the art in this story was especially good with Doe providing beautiful Martian landscapes and a brightly colored astronaut contrasting against them. The final story is the most straightforward of the bunch with your standard alien virus taking over humans in an attempt to spread across the world. It's very much an outer space take on John Carpenter's The Thing, which isn't a bad thing at all, but it's also the least interesting story in the issue. Yeah. 
Doe's art remains excellent throughout and his use of color really helps set the mood for each story. The issue glows with the light of digital screens, warm magentas and cool blues, muted sepia tones and flashes of blood red. Spectro number one is the rare anthology that's excellent from start to finish. Having a singular talent like Doe as the driving force definitely makes all the difference. This gets a buy it. Yeah, this was really cool just to see Wando do it all. That guy is amazing. He can write it. He can draw it. He can color it. He's absolutely incredible. And I worry about like one shot anthologies like this. Like, how are they going to sell? Because it's just a one shot. And is he a huge name? I don't really know. And it's Aftershock, which is like a smaller imprint sold out of the printer. So people care. It's awesome. And I'm glad people are checking it out. Probably pretty small print run. Well, still, I mean, mean, like that's a success. If you sell out. Good for you. We're going to second printing. You did the job one and maybe only printed 5,000. I don't know. Still a win. Good for you, man. Um, This was great. And I agree. The final story was the only one that I was like, eh, whatever. But it's not even that it was bad. It's just like, oh, I've read this before. It was fine. But like, think about anthologies. Typically, you get one really good story up front and then three short stories behind it that are like, eh, whatever. All four were pretty damn good. The first three were fantastic. And again, this is one of those books. It's just an art book. It's gorgeous. Pick this up. The guy's amazing. Pick up his dark arc as well. That book is incredible, and he's so good on it. Huge buy it from me. Rounding it out, we're going to talk about those mutants in blue, the Legion of X. Number one from Marvel. It's $4.99. It's written by Cy Spurrier with art by Jan Bazaldua. Bazaluda. Nope. B-A-Z-A-L-D-U-A. I was saying Basiluda too, but it's not. It's mm. Basildua. Here's your solicit. Cy Spurrier and Jan Basildua bring peace, love, and justice to Krakoa. Krakoa Shit, has its you're laws. Right. I've been saying Jan Basiluda for like 20 years. I wanted to as well, but it's Basildua. I, I, I hear you. I see it. I like sat down and looked at it and said it like five times to make no, sure. No, I, lo- I even looked it up. It's I confirmed elsewhere. Krakoa has its laws, but does it have justice? To remain a mutant sanctuary, Krakoa must safeguard itself against those who would damage its peace or traumatize its people. The lost must be found. The wicked must face redemption or retribution. It's up to the ever-soulful swashbuckler Nightcrawler to keep the spark alive and Legion to host a unique team in the psychedelic mindscape called The Altar with Pixie on point, Juggernaut as a one-man riot squad and a host of ex-favorites on the beat. The Legion of X will do anything to protect mutants, right? To pursue happiness and hope, kicking off with a hunt for a missing Arakaki god and a skinjacker possessing innocent mutants. Read this issue and come meet Weaponless Zen Ora Serata and a villain worth praying for. The Destiny of X bears its heart and soul right here. Hell of a solicit there. I don't know how much is left to even talk about. That's promising a lot. (laughs) Buy it. (laughs) There you go. Joe and I both liked Spurrier's Way of X, which paved the way for this team of X-Police with Nightcrawler as the chief. And the new series is every bit as spiritual and weird as the previous mini. Nightcrawler is leading a team of misfits, including the Juggernaut, who's still not a mutant, correct? He even says so in this comic. Okay, so he can't use the gates and stuff. He's just there. 
on Krakoa. On Krakoa, but he can't use the gates. He right. has to probably take a boat. I guess he has to fly around or something. I don't know. Forget Me Not, whose name is too long, but I love his power. It's great. He literally him. has the I power to make not. people forget him. And every time he shows up, he's like, hey, what's going on, guys? And they're like, who are you again? <laughs> it's great. <laughs> Lost, who's like a stretchy mutant. Pixie, we all know her. Legion, Doc Nemesis, and Fabian Cortez for reasons. As they investigate mutant crime from their HQ in Legion's head, beautifully illustrated by Basil Dua. Spurrier has been given the freedom to go full friggin' weird, but I gotta say, it never took me out of the story. As weird as this gets, I found it much more interesting than the weird going on in Otherworld in the pages of Knights of X, which I just don't care about. And maybe it's the police aspect that gives the team a little more grounding and reason to be. I'm a fool for super police, though, and I like that all the different X teams have jobs. I still can't quite figure out what the Knights of X are doing. I'm curious to see where the Knights of X are just Excalibur. Yeah. I'm curious to see where Spurrier is going with this, the whole spark religion idea. And it seems like he's suggesting that Nightcrawler is sort of replacing his Christianity with this new mutant religion, which is not a biggie for me, but there's some people on the internet that are pissed off about it. So I mean, that's just it, is that it's not really a religion. He created it. It it's it's kind of this way of thinking. Yeah. And people are and people are like, right. is he's Catholic. Blah, blah. It's like, you guys, you got to read the comic. Well, you and even in this, comic. he says like it sort of didn't, you know, like, yeah, I went to, you know, seminary school. Didn't really stick. Whatever. So, I mean, that doesn't mean he's not religious. Well, Laval's didn't. Stick, it means he's, he's not a priest, to, he's, basically. Yeah, it just means he's not a priest. Yeah. Settle down, people. The creative team does a great job grounding this comic as a mutant police procedural while tackling some seriously psychedelic ideas. And this comic should concrete Basil Dua as a friggin' superstar. It looks amazing. I'm giving this a buy it. I mean, yeah, I really loved this. Uh, in fact, uh, I think that I liked Way of X more than you did if we go back and look at it. But I think that this, as the end result where Nightcrawler is now running the Krakoan peacekeeping force, but they are also like, they're not cops, right? They're not going to go and just bust heads. Well, there's rules. They, and they lay them out. Yeah. Like, like these are the rules. We don't like certain, these things are not against the law. We have to come and make a judgment and we have to work through it. And they try to be as nonviolent as possible. Right. And know? they're not just going to throw people in the pit for no yeah. reason. You know, they're, they're really thinking about it. And so it's an interesting take on, a peacekeeping force that is truly peaceful. I would argue it's, a, it's a statement uh, about modern policing as well. Oh, well, for sure. Yeah, no, <laughs> so, yeah. I made jokes and they were only sort of jokes about not really being able to tell on what plane of existence different scenes took place on. That part is true. I did. I do love the idea, like the big ideas behind it all. The, the fact that Legion has created this, space in his mind that's essentially an entire world for people to populate it's yeah. so great he calls it like a holodeck meets a rave <laughs> basically <laughs> yeah it it's so good and the art is great i i love this i really really did enjoy this a lot i love forget me not forget me not is so great he's fantastic and he's like uh, the, he's sort of like the beat cop he's the one that goes out and deals with the garbage you know <laughs> it's yeah, yeah. great uh, he's partnered oh, with man. Juggernaut and Juggernaut keeps going, who are you again? <laughs> yeah. I, like they went out to go, they went out to go bust this, this guy that was on the lamb or whatever. And uh, they stop him 
and they come back to the altar or to the station or whatever the hell it is. I don't know. I don't even remember which is which, but they come back to HQ and Chuck is like, I got him, boss. Solo takedown. <laughs> <laughs> and it's yeah, not no, his fault. Is, he can't remember. <laughs> yeah, no, I, 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 this is a huge buy it for me. I, I really, really enjoyed it. If you want to know more about these comics, check out our show notes where you can find links for all the books we discussed and hit us up in the new comics channel of our Discord to give us your thoughts. Matt, before we slip out of our half shells and bandanas, we need to pick one of these comics to enter the THN Permanent Collection. What was the best book you read in this pile? This is the first week in quite a while that I'm really having trouble. I know. And... It's so easy for me to just lean on Shaolin Cowboy because I love it so much. But I think Legion of X is one of the most exciting X titles, like new X titles we've had in a while. I really like Immortal X-Men. It's a lot of fun. It didn't do as much for me as this, honestly. No. Like, And I think it's because I love Nightcrawler so much, too, and I like him leading the team, and I like seeing him being important. I'm giving it to Legion of X. I just had a blast with it. It was too yeah, fun. Yeah, no, same. Uh, that was the same here, 100%. Uh, Legion of X is my pick, and like it's, it's no shade on anything else. I loved Spectro, I loved Shaolin Cowboy, but those are kind of like one-off experiences, right? Sure. I'm not gonna go back and reread those. I'm not going to follow. It's not the start of an ongoing saga that I'm gonna like sink my teeth into. But I finished Legion of X, and I was like, I want to see where all of this goes. Yeah. I, I love the characters. I love. I'm a sucker for the Juggernaut. Uh, I love the Nightcrawler. Like this book pushes all my buttons. It's Legion of X. Joey, now that we've finished our new comic sparring, it's time to head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where we'll be meditating to both heal our wounds and make our must-read picks for next Wednesday, June 1st. What do you got, Joe? My pick for next week is Phalanx. It's a one-shot from Image Comics. It's written and drawn by Jonathan Luna. You don't need no brother no more? It's just like, uh, just you, John. You know what? Uh, like, before anybody mentions it, not that anybody will, I, re- I realize and recall that the Luna brothers had a big falling out. Oh, did one they? Of them ended, oh, yeah. Well, we talked about it, even. One of This was years ago. Oh, I forgot. And one of them ended up being a tremendous shithead. I don't remember which one was which, and I'll, like, to be quite frank, both of these brothers, they feel kind of like the same person. <laughs> don't I, I, like, don't I do that, that to them. <laughs> I, I know that that's dismissive, but I honestly could not tell you where one ended and the other began because they were a brand, you know. They were the Luna Bros. Brand. That was their thing. But <clears throat> here's your solicit. Inspired since 1992 by the series that launched Image Comics, you'll note that that comic is not named, Writer and artist Jonathan Luna from Alex and Ada and 20XX creates an homage to honor its 30th anniversary with The Phalanx. Spur, a mercenary in modern-day Los Angeles, chases a mysterious villain and finds herself going through a portal and running into a famous superhero team. They realize they have a common goal. The end. (laughs) (laughs) What is it? (laughs) I I, I feel like I feel like whatever intern was cut and pasting there maybe accidentally left some parts out because that's where like wherever you look online, that's the end. What is Um, this inspired? What is this comic that they're not naming? It's Youngblood, which is very obvious when you look at the cover. Oh, like 
So uh, I, I don't know if it's because of Rob Liefeld or whatever, but like for some reason they go out of their way not to specifically mention Young. Well, Blood. Rob doesn't own it anymore. Like some shithead. Oh, that's true. Bought the rights. Else owns Young. Yeah, Blood. and I think that like there's a lot of court stuff going on still with like because yeah, like, yeah. No, nope, this right. guy that's screwed Rob out of Young Blood. Now, be to be fair, Rob should have read the fine print better but i mean that's a whole different story we're not gonna kick anybody while they're down but yeah so this is kind of jonathan luna's love letter to youngblood the cover is insane for some there's a character there's a character on the cover that is kind of like the bad rock stand-in right because they're big and beefy but they are somehow a rippling hulk that also has a fin so it's somehow an amalgamation of bad rock savage dragon Pit and the Hulk. I don't really get it. More importantly, their uh, job is to take up all the room in the background so you don't have to draw anything behind them. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and so, like, I looked at that. I was like, oh, look at this. Uh, look at this bad rock guy. Oh, he's got a fin. I'm sold. I was in. That's all I, all it took. Fair enough. But, yeah, I mean, it It looks fun. I don't know. I The Luna Brothers, all the, all the drama aside, I thought the Luna Brothers put out a lot of really interesting projects. Yeah, and, they were great. You know. This they're being they've been gone for a while. My pick for next week is Astronaut Down, number one from Aftershock. It's four ninety nine. It is written by James Patrick with art by Ruben, or maybe it's Rubine. I don't know. Here's your solicit. Douglas Spitzer wants to be one of the astronauts, that's in quotes, selected for crucial mission Pulitzer. And just like astronauts like Buzz Aldrin and Sally Ride, Douglas is brave, adaptable, and self-sacrificing. He's one of the program's best candidates. But if he qualifies, Douglas won't be traveling through space. He'll be launched into alternate realities on a desperate mission to save Earth from a horrific crisis that has our world on the brink of extinction. Extinction. Unfortunately, I mean, that's why astronauts in quotes. Yeah, he's not really going through yeah. space. Unfortunately, it's a mission where everything goes wrong, where Douglas's training and very humanity will be put to the test, and where deep-seated secrets could sabotage everything. Writer James Patrick, who worked on Kaiju Score, Campisi, The Dragon oh, Incident. Right. Every time I say his name and then I say those, you go, "Oh, that's right." I know. <laughs> and artist Rubin or Ruben, who did Search for Who, which I really liked, lead us on a perilous undertaking to save the planet from total destruction. Uh, I'm too busy making a no relation joke to, to remember who he is. Typically. So <laughs> yeah. James Patrick, who wrote Kaiju Score, Yang Cam PC, The Dragon Incident. This is another case of a guy sort of taking himself out of his comedic wheelhouse and doing something really serious. He's a great right. writer. I'm excited to see what he can do here. But I love it. Like, just like Chip Zdarsky, where these guys step out of their wheelhouse and we go, oh, crap. You know, Tom Hanks isn't just funny. He's a great actor. You know, <laughs> like, sure, I think it's yeah. fun. So I want to see what he's got. The THN trade of the week for June 1st goes to Rick Grimes 2000. It's a hardcover for $19.99. This shock It me. comes from, I know, you know, it's because it's fun. It's from Image Comics. It's written by Robert Kirkman with art by Ryan Otley. Here is your solicit. Beyond the Walking Dead dot dot dot. Rick Grimes 2000. Rick Grimes was a small town police officer. Then the world fell to the walking dead, but the dead were only the start. And a new tale of alien horror begins here. Superstar writer, blah, blah, you know these guys. Come on. Present the wildest walking dead story ever. This hardcover collects the entire Rick Grimes 2000 story, originally serialized in the pages of Skybound X. So, um, I picked this because, uh, 
Skybound is very stingy with its review copies, which I understand is like a very first world problem for people that uh, have podcasts. Um, But I have not read a Skybound comic in so long. And I remember them soliciting this like serialized pseudo future, like Rick Grimes, 2099 kind of. I have no memory of this. Oh, yeah. He's got like a bionic arm. He's got like a bionic hand and a lightsaber, all kinds of shit. And it's by the creative team of Invincible. It's like I've been dying to read it. And now it's coming out uh, in a very affordable hardcover. Uh, And yeah, I think it's worth checking out. Fair enough. I've never heard of this. If you're going to catch up on one Skybound book, Firepower. Firepower is so great. And Firepower is definitely what Robert Kirkman would have done with Iron Fist. And I think it would be so much more interesting than what's going on with Iron Fist right now at Marvel. So, Firepower, check it out. You can find links to these picks in our show notes, and we always post our must-read picks on our Discord, on our Twitter, and on our Faces book every Wednesday, so you can make an informed buying decision at your LCS. But we also want you to let us know what you thought of our picks. Joe... Where would someone go to talk about new comics with us? Where, where, where do you Discord. think it's a good place? But specifically where in Discord? The new comics channel. Thank you. <laughs> This week's Patreon Extra has us pulling out our old comic book metallurgy textbooks from comic book college. I actually graduated. Matt was later given an honorary diploma. You said you weren't going to mention this. (laughs) Look, semantics matter. They matter. To discuss a question posed by THN's youngest listener, Mr. Hugo Tverdick, here's a sample of our discussion, and you can hear the whole thing when you support THN on Patreon for as low as $1 per month. If you have a burning question that only two ex-comic shop managers can answer, then you may need to ask a nerd! But Matt, how do I do that, you may be asking? Just head to twoheadednerd.com and click our contact THN link and then choose Ask a Nerd as your subject or head to our Discord and post your question in our Ask a Nerd channel. Today's question comes from a gentleman that's probably way too young to be listening to this filth, Mr. Hugo Tverdick. Take it away, Hugo. So, using examples from the comics, which one's stronger, Admantium or Vibranium? I like it, and it's an age-old question. Now, there's a quick answer, and that answer is Adamantium, but... We never that did. Is, that's not an accurate answer, but okay. I would say it's, t- I mean, like, technically it's like the, s- well, the that's hardest like, substance. A, that's like, it's like asking what's better. Well, I'm, well the world's, who's better, the world's strongest man or the world's best fighter? Sure. I'm just going by hardest substance. Okay. Hardest substance. Yes. Okay. Fine. Adamantium. But we never do anything quickly around here. So Joe and I thought we would compare and contrast the two mighty Marvel medals and discuss What happens when you smash the two together? Real science stuff here we're talking. Joe, why don't you start us off with a brief history of vibranium and its properties? Will do. I actually took notes, so I am prepared for this segment. Look at you. Vibranium first appeared in Daredevil number 13 from 1965, but not the vibranium you're thinking of. That was anti-metal, which I'll get into in a second. (laughs) Anti-metal. Anti-metal, yeah. True Wakandan vibranium that we know and love and are familiar with from the MCU first appeared in Fantastic 453 from the following year, 1966, both written by Stan Lee. 
probably in uh, some sort of work-induced haze where he couldn't remember inventing the thing twice. Oh, I'm sure. Uh, the origin. Vibranium is a rare metallic ore with energy-manipulating properties. It is theorized to have been first deposited on Earth by a meteorite one million years ago, which means vibranium is from space. In fact, there have been comics that showed other races in space that used vibranium. It is, however, so rare that the majority of vibranium is gone and Earth is the only place or the primary place it can be found. While there are several variations of the metal, the two most common are Antarctic Vibranium, aka Anti-Metal, which is found almost exclusively in the Savage Land, and Wakandan Vibranium, again, the one we know and love. The African nation of Wakanda's entire society is built around the mysterious ore, which allows for their futuristic technology and prosperity. A small amount of the substance, along with a steel alloy and an unknown third catalyst. I'm glad I got in here first, because I don't want any of Map Island's revisionist history creeping in. What are you talking about? I'm just, I just, I don't know what you're going to say, but I just wanted, I wanted to nip it in the bud. So, vibranium, a steel alloy, and an unknown third catalyst was used by Dr. Myron McLean in the creation of Captain America's shield. The process was never duplicated, because... As with all great scientists, the dude fell asleep at the wheel and just forgot. He got he killed. Just forgot to write things down. No, he died. He got killed. No, no, no. He didn't. That was the super soldier guy. Oh, that was you're Professor right. Erskine. Okay, so now according to Marvel, Myron, Marvel fandom, this was called Proto Adamantium. It was later called Proto Adamantium right. because the process was never duplicated, and an attempt to recreate the experiment led to the creation of adamantium. Ah, okay. So, All right. Retroactively, they called it proto-adamantium because attempts to make more vibranium, or uh, rather attempts to recreate Captain America's shield, are what led to the creation of adamantium. Gotcha. Now, what does vibranium do? Wakandan vibranium absorbs vibratory and kinetic energy, allowing it to be stored and redirected for various purposes. When it's handled correctly, it can even absorb mystical energy. It's especially potent with magic. It can also mutate the flora and fauna it comes in contact with over time. It once transformed the prehistoric Wakandans who discovered it and even led to the creation of the heart-shaped herb that gives the Black Panthers their abilities. Antarctic vibranium, anti-metal, weakens the molecular bonds of nearby metals, causing them to liquefy. Uh, so who uses vibranium? You know it. Wakandan society, Captain America's shield. The U.S. agent once had a shield of pure vibranium because, again, they could not duplicate Cap's um, indestructible shield. The Black Panther uses vibranium in a microweave mesh in his uniform that robs incoming objects of their momentum. He also cannot be stabbed, although the costume can be cut, uh, and thus the Black Panther himself, if the attacker, you know, slashes it the right way. Right. Against the grain, they say. Sure. How would you sew it otherwise? Come on. <laughs> yeah, come on. It's, it's stitched together somehow. Beyond that, 
He uses vibranium in the soles of, a, of his boots that allows him to survive a fall of several stories. And if given enough momentum, the Black Panther can also scale walls or skim across water, which is pretty dang cool. Yeah, just like Jesus. The, I know. <laughs> I think that's how Jesus did it, right? <laughs> yeah, vibranium sandals. Vibranium in the sandals. Uh, the field can also be used offensively to shatter or weaken objects, such as kicking something with his boots. He has also used uh, anti-metal in his claws on occasion, so that's why his claws are so effective. And that is a crash course on vibranium. Fair enough. Let's jump to adamantium. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for teaching 665 next week. The Cosmic Long Box returns, forcing us to review classic back-issue comics based on an evil theme. Joe Patrick, what has the cosmically empowered box picked for us this time? Uh, well, next week is episode 666, and so because Matt demanded it, That's right. our theme is deals with the devil Woo. or a, an infernal force of some kind. Right, infernal pacts, if you will. Yeah, Infernal Packs. Yeah, characters that were seeking more power or just work for the devil or, you know, stuff like that. It'll be fun. If you want to wrap about this week's episode, though, comics you read or any of the weekly nerdy news that we're following on our Discord Nerd News channel, hit us up on our live call-in show, THN, cover to cover. We do it every Saturday at 11 Central Time. You can watch the broadcast live on Facebook, but... If you want to play along, join our Discord where you can learn how to chat or talk with us live on the show. No cover to cover this weekend. There, it's graduation season. Yep. We got a bunch of family to go congratulate for graduating from various things. We will be back next week, but we've got a new question of the week. This week's question is courtesy of Real General Pancakes on the Ziggurat Worldwide Discord. Quote, I'm relatively new to comics, only a few years in, and I find myself falling in love with certain styles of art and artists, so much so that I buy original pages as well as scour the back issue bins and the vastness of the internet to collect every issue or trade that a specific favorite artist has worked on. My question to you is this. Is there an artist whose work you love so much that you have to have everything they've ever worked on and even more? So like single issues, artist editions, sketches, original pages, etc., etc. Who is your all-time favorite artist whose work you have scoured the earth to find? See, I'm going to have to speak hypothetically because like I have made decisions in my life that don't allow me to collect some of the artists that I love. I mean, yeah, I won't I won't really have an answer to this question, but Millions you know, of we'll, be, we'll still be able to play along. <clears throat> uh, please do keep your question of the week suggestions coming. Uh, we do this, uh, you know, almost every week and and we do need the questions if you can't be there live shoot an mp3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the thn hotline 402-819-4894 and you could be internet famous uh please remember we are sharing the air with a lot of nerds so keep your recorded messages on the shorter side we will cut you off after a few minutes that's the end of that thought. Okay. Sorry. That kind of that ended with a comma, but it should have ended with a period. <laughs> All right. If you're new to this show and you're ready to never let your children hear it again, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at twoheadednerd.com. THN is a listener supported podcast. We don't do no ads here, and it would not be possible without the generosity of donors like our newest Canadian patron, 
the singularly named Steven. If you like what you hear, just like Steven does, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd, where you'll hear all kinds of exclusive content, or you can just make a one-time donation via PayPal because you are just a quality nerd. I think it's cool that north of the border, they don't need no last names no more. They don't need them. Screw no, they've evolved beyond yeah, last names. They're not as cocky as we are. They're just like, no, I'm just true. Steven. It's true. <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to all you listeners out there that wished me well during my recent battle with The Clench. We all thought it got wiped out after No Man's Land, but I probably still shouldn't have eaten that weird street meat during my last trip to Gotham City. Yeah, that's your fault. You did that. Uh, you know what? Shh, fool me once. I told you. you. Know? That is, don't eat that. <laughs> Thank you all for sticking with us during the downtime and for keeping the ziggurat running in my absence. Word to you, nerds. I promise I'm working my way back to full strength. The one good thing about Joe's sickness is it absolutely got us thinking about a cosmic long box where all we're going to do is plagues. <laughs> It'll be great. I can't yeah, wait. it's true. <laughs> Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just slap his street meat between the pages. <laughs> there this it is. is the two-headed nerd signing off. I knew you'd get there if I just let you think about it for a second. <laughs>